introduce our speaker coming up next. And um, it's been 14 months of prayer, research, work, you name it, all kinds of things that we do to uh, be able to find our next pastor. And uh, we worked through P3, as many of you have heard before, the pastoral placement process through our Converge District. And um, so part of that process was is we had to figure out who we were as Bethel. You remember filling out the whole uh, survey as a congregation. There was also another leadership survey that was filled out. And then Brock had to fill all this stuff out also and he had to go into a pool and then after everything was all said and done, they let their computers do the running and figure out who the best matches were to us here at Bethel. And uh, it is my confidence in our Lord and Savior that this is going to be the next pastor of our church. And so at this time, I asked Brock Youngren to come up and share what the Lord has laid on his heart. And uh, it's just... Uh, He's checked off all the boxes and then some in our process. So it's a real joy and honor for me to be able to introduce him today. Thank you. Well, many of you had an opportunity to meet me some last night. And I, I say that, but it's really not true. I met like 3% of you is what it felt like. Uh, I got to see a lot of you, a lot of you got to see me, but to have actual interaction, uh, there just wasn't really an opportunity for that. So I really, really look forward to getting to meet you. Uh, there's some things about me that you need to know, uh, and that is I love four things. I love Jesus, my wife, golf, and coffee. <laughs> Probably in that order. Uh, my children would be in there. I, I joke a little, right? But those are, those are a little bit of things about me. As I spent some time thinking about what, what would God have me speak on, right? Uh, somebody asked me last night what my preaching style is, and my preaching style is exegetical. So the goal will be every week to open this, should we be here, and say, what does the scripture say about who Jesus is? And then as we understand who Jesus is, what then does it look like to follow him, to emulate him, to mirror him and mimic him? That's the goal. So as I prayed, I just prayed, God, open something to me textually that I would, I would have a passion for, for this particular text at this particular time. And I ended up in a book I did not expect to end up in, 2 Corinthians. And I know that sounds odd that I would say that, but, but if you think back through most of your life, you'll realize that most pastors don't speak about 2 Corinthians. And there's a reason for it. And the reason people don't speak on 2 Corinthians is 1 Corinthians is a beating. It is terrible. There's almost nothing good that goes on as far as the Corinthian people, from beginning to end, it's 16 chapters of what feels like a beating by Paul to these people who are saints in the Lord, meaning that they're saved, but they are not following Christ. And so we have a tendency to skip 2 Corinthians because we're afraid the sequel is going to be just like the original. <laughs> and it's not, actually. It's not at all. 
Second Corinthians is they received the first letter, which is, if we want to get into it, it's really the second letter Paul wrote to them, but we, they had already gotten first Corinthians and the spirit changed them. And now 2 Corinthians comes along and it's more of an encouragement to them, but we're all too scared to go there. So we're going to pray and then we're going to jump into 2 Corinthians starting at the end of chapter 3. Father, we come to you this morning and we just take a breath in this moment and we ask that your spirit would work in us as individuals and us collectively. Our desire, Father, is to see your son glorified and to see our lives changed to be like him. And we know, Lord, that we don't have the strength to make that happen. So we ask that your spirit work in us now, empower us, motivate us, change us, so that we would be men and women who know and honor you, who follow you rightly. Lord, I pray for myself in this moment that you allow my my mind to be clear, that you allow my words to be clear so that your reality, your person would be proclaimed, spoken of, and exalted in this moment. We love you, Father. Amen. Some of my favorite words in life are the other day I was golfing. And the other day I was golfing, though really the other day in this case, well, I was golfing just the other day, but the story of this takes place a few weeks ago when we were back in Iowa. And I was out golfing with some people and, and we came to a, a pond and I saw something that I'd seen before, but never to this level. We saw giant frogs all around this pond. And there's always some there, but there were more than I had ever seen around this pond. And I started looking at them and they would, they would be hanging out on the side of the pond and then we would get close and they'd jump in the pond, right? They are afraid they're gonna become frog legs for dinner, so they get away from you. And, and I started looking at them and thinking about them and I realized something. There's something that I've never seen and I don't think you've ever seen it either. I have never, ever seen a tadpole jump off the side of a bank by a pond into the pond. I've seen frogs do that, and frogs are just big tadpoles, right? Except they're not. Tadpoles breathe through gills in the water, and frogs breathe through lungs in the air. But, but if you follow them along, the one turns into the other, and, and we have a word for that, and the word is metamorphosis, right? When the tadpole transitions, changes, metamorphosizes into the frog, it gets a new purpose in life. And its purpose is different than it ever was in the past. Today, we're going to talk about our purpose, but not just our purpose, the why we have that purpose. Because frequently, it would be easy for us to say, here's what you are supposed to do and lay out the things that you are supposed to do that I am supposed to do. But if you've ever noticed, it is very, very hard to continue doing something if you don't know why you're doing it. For instance, one of my sons, I won't tell you who, his name is Josiah. He's wearing a shirt today under a shirt that says something to the effect of, I swim, so if you see me running, You run too, because something bad is happening. (laughs) I I can understand that feeling. 
I can run and chase a ball, but one of my friends told me to just run down the road for a while, and I can do that for a short period of time, but I have no reason to know why I'm doing that. So I run out of the purpose, the passion for it very quickly because I have no reason to want to do it. So if we don't understand the reason of why our purpose is what it is, we will have a tendency to forget when time gets tough, forget what our purpose is and stop doing it. So we're going to look at those two things. Why it is our purpose is what it is and then what our purpose is. And actually, Chris gave most of my message for me last week. Because the message out of this, the purpose, is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus, which as he talked about communion last week, he talked about proclaiming the Lord's death and the subsequent belief that we would have in him through communion, a time where we gather together and as God's children proclaim in unison the same thing through the same actions, that's what this is about. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Again, this is Paul writing, and and we're starting at an odd spot because it's the middle of a paragraph, and it's going to feel weird. It, it, It just is going to. We need to know that. It starts with this, and we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let the light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Mostly what we're going to look at today is that first verse because it's the thing upon which all of the rest of those verses build and it's the impetus for it. We know that because there's a word in there and it's one of the most famous pastoral jokes in the scripture when you see a therefore you have to ask what it's Therefore, it's a terrible joke. I love terrible jokes. And it's a terrible joke. But it makes us remember. And what we can know then is chapter 4, verses 1 through 6 are because of what comes out of chapter 3, verse 18. So we must start in chapter 3, verse 18 to understand the purpose, which is 1 through 6, the sharing of the gospel. And he says, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, which is an odd, odd sentence. Uh, We're going to have a grammar lesson. Don't hate me for it. It's important. Most people don't like grammar. I do like grammar. I'm weird. I understand that. In sentence structure, 
there's two parts of a sentence. The independent clause and the dependent clause. Okay, that's all the more grammar we're going to get. The independent clause is the main chunk of your sentence. It's your steak, okay? And steak is amazing. I don't think you need anything else. Just steak all the time. But in sentences, we have other things. Garnishing that makes the plate of steak look nice and people say taste better. And that's your potatoes or your, I don't know what else you eat, vegetable of some sort. More meat, right? But we have this dependent clause, which is that garnishing of a sentence. And if we let ourselves get confused by the garnishing, we miss the fact that there's a steak on our plate. And here it says, and we all, independent portion of a clause. And then he has two descriptors with unveiled face. That's an odd thing to say. None of us have a veiled face, right? I don't see any person in this room with a veil covering their face. I know some guys who grow beards to cover their face, but nobody's wearing a veil. So what does he say that for? And then he says, beholding the glory of the Lord. Why, why that phrase right there in this sentence? Those are part of the dependent clause. They are not a sentence by themselves. If I were to just stand up and say, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, people would look at me and say, what is he talking about? The sentence, the independent clause of this sentence that we must pay attention to is, and we all are being transformed. That is the sentence. We all are being transformed. That word transformed is metamorpho. Nobody cares. But it comes and brings to us the word that we have, metamorphosis. So when we talked about that tadpole metamorphosizing into a frog and having a different purpose, being a wholly different creature for all intents and purposes, it's the word that says that we all are being transformed, metamorphosized. We have a tendency to think that that metamorphosis takes place when we put our faith in Jesus, and that's true. But who is Paul referring to in this verse? And we all. We includes Paul. All includes every other believer. So every believer, not unbeliever, every believer is being transformed into the image of Jesus. Meaning that each one of us is undergoing at this moment, as we trust him, a change, a metamorphosis into the image of Jesus. Meaning we're not there yet. We have a tendency to think that we're close or getting closer And there is a reality that says there are, compared to other people, more mature believers. That's a reality. Those are the men that you would choose, men being the particular ones we're looking at, to be elders. Those who you say are the most spiritually mature. That's who it is. So compared to believers as a whole, they are more mature. But here's the reality. God is infinite. I also like math. So I like grammar 
and I like math. Bear with me. God is infinite in who he is. So let's ask a question. Which believer is closer to where God is? The believer who's two steps from birth as a new believer or the one who is 200 steps? The answer is neither. Compared to infinity, they're both just as far away, meaning myself, yourselves, no matter how long our faith has been in Jesus, we have just as much to grow, just as much to transform, just as much to be metamorphosized as anybody else, lest we ever think that we are God's perfect person. We humbly stand before him and say, God, we are incapable, unable, and we need you. Now, I understand that as we follow Christ, we have the opportunity to work alongside the Holy Spirit to grow and to become like Christ. But what does this sentence, this verse say? We all with unveiled face, which is a reference to the verses before talking about Moses and how God, uh, Moses veiled his face as to not show the glory of God in the Old Testament. With unveiled face, showing the glory of God, seeing it and showing it are being transformed. Meaning that it's happening to us, not that we are doing it. It's the difference of Brock kicked the ball. I, the subject of the sentence, did the action of kicking the ball. There's words for it. Nobody cares. No, well, people do care. I actually care. So I shouldn't say nobody cares. It doesn't change anything for us. But the subject kicked the ball. Brock kicked the ball. Or Brock was kicked by the ball. Those are different, right? One, you get hit. The other, you do the hitting. The passive verb, being hit or kicked by the ball, is what's here. We are being transformed. It's being done to us. While God gives us the incredible opportunity to work alongside the Holy Spirit in accomplishing that, he is the one who does it. If we go back to John chapter 15, we can see this. Verses one through five, it's Jesus talking about being the vine and he being the vine and we being the branches. And he says this, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, verse five, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. That doesn't sound very make yourself feel good. That sounds a whole lot like saying we are not enough on our own. But you know what the good news of the gospel is? We're not enough on our own. But Jesus is enough for us. And so as we begin to understand that, we recognize that the branch, you've all seen dead branches blown off a tree on the ground. Or even a live branch blown off a, tr blown off a tree and on the ground. If you were to take that live, healthy branch and Stick it in the ground, what would happen? 
it would die. Because the branch is not the source of life. The tree is, or the vine is, in this case. Without Christ, we can do nothing. As we move on in this verse, we're being transformed into the same image. That is the image of Christ, right? That is the image that we are being transformed into, into the image of Christ, from one degree of glory to another. Meaning, friends, this is not talking about an instantaneous change. All of us who have lived more than 18 seconds know that we don't see whole, complete change all the time. Granted, we go to Ephesians chapter 2, and we're told that God, being rich in mercy, brought us from death to life instantly. Whole change. There's nothing between the two, dead or alive. He took us from dead to alive. And now, from one degree of glory to another, from one step in maturity to another, we are being transformed. One is called positional sanctification. What position are we in? Guilty or innocent? The other is called progressive sanctification. Once we're innocent, what is the process that we go through to become more like Jesus? And when we talk about progressive sanctification, we are saying that is one degree to another, which means that we must, we're either one of two people in every circumstance, the one who is helping someone change or the one who is being changed. And if we are the one who's helping somebody change, we need to recognize that this person is going to take steps in degrees of change. And if we are the one who is being changed, we need to understand about ourselves that we are taking steps in degree of being changed. We want whole change immediately. God does not always grant that. I don't know why I'm not him. But he doesn't always give us that. He takes us through a process, a process that builds us to be like Jesus so that as we move to verses one through six, so that as we are being transformed and we understand who Jesus is, we understand what that looks like, we can do what? Take the ministry of the gospel of Christ to the people around us which immediately from too many of us says, sharing the gospel to those who don't believe. That's true, but it's only half. If we are being transformed into the image of Christ from one degree to another by being transformed by God's work, that means that we are being transformed by the what? The gospel. So we don't just say, we're gonna take the gospel out to the world where they don't know who Jesus is. We are, we must. But we also must take that same gospel to those around us and say, now, because of the truth of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the fact that he is transforming us, we bring it to each other to help each other grow. We see God work in a variety of different ways to transform us. Some of those are not fun. Sometimes he puts us in difficult circumstances so that we have to go through the gold going through a refining fire sort of moment or where he chisels away at us. There's, a, there's an old story that really probably isn't true, but it's a nice story. It's almost too good to be true, so it's really probably not. 
where a guy came to Michelangelo and asked him how, out of a block of marble, he can sculpt David or an elephant or a horse. Those are all the different stories. And he says, oh, it's easy. All I do is I take my chisel and I knock away everything that doesn't look like David or an elephant or a horse. Now, I can't understand that. And it's really not even true. It came, the, the, the actual quote came much later, but the idea is true. God comes to us as his work and he says, I'm going to chisel away everything that doesn't look like Jesus. That is not always fun. Because sometimes we like the things that he wants to chisel away. They're not even always gross sin. But he takes away that which does not look like Christ. And as we understand Christ more and more, that's good for us. Because we trust him. So why do we do all of this? As we understand who Jesus is, we do it because Jesus is the most important, the greatest value. We look at what he's done for us and we praise him and thank him and worship him and glorify him. We sing songs to him so that he would be honored, so that he would be glorified, and then we take his reality to other people so that they would be honored, they would be glorified. Sorry, I said that wrong. So that he would be honored and he would be glorified in them. Because it's not about me and it's not about you, it's about Christ. And he is the ultimate. He is the preeminent one. So as we understand who he is, he transforms us, metamorphosizes us, changes us to the same degree that a toad, or sorry, that a tadpole turns into a frog. And he changes us into the image of his son so that we as his children can bring his reality, his gospel to a dying world and to each other for his glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for your son. We thank you for the opportunity that we had as your children to look at your word, to exalt your son. We pray, Father, that you would be the center of our thoughts, the center of our purpose and our longings. We pray, Father, that we would continue to be transformed by the work of your spirit into the image of your son for your glory. And it's in the amazing and holy name of Christ we pray. Amen.